What do you think of the market response in today's crypto markets uh, not doing too well? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on in the crypto market. It's hard to attribute it just to the FOMC meeting. I think we've got much bigger problems than whether uh, Jerome Powell says skip, pause, or pivot. Um, you know, but I, I, I did say yesterday often, you know, you see things go up right after the meeting and then it sets in and the market's usually wrong on the first reaction and goes the other way. I, I think to some degree that's what's happening here. I just think there's a lot of bad news for crypto right now. It's sort of drifting down on low volume, but it's really not bothering me that much what, what Bitcoin is doing here. Did, did, but did it bother, are you in, actually, what's your portfolio like, your Web3 portfolio? Uh, do you want me to describe it in song or? Did I drop out? Is it space crashing? Hello, anyone there? Can anyone unmute? Yeah, you're, no, oh, you're, you're good. Mario. Good. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Cause usually what happens when it goes quiet, it means the space is about to crash unless the other person got a call, which Scott got a call. Scott, are you there? Yeah, I think, I think Scott got a call or something like that. Scott. All right, so Ryan, I want to ask you that question, and I've sent you a course invite. Um, so if you can accept it in, in the next thirty minutes, would be good, Ben. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, man. So what's your? Um, I'm not sure if you're doing the dishes, but it seems pretty quiet. So uh, while waiting for Scott to come back, what's your uh, portfolio like, and then we'll kick off the show. I, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, I'm uh, I'm I'm with thirty percent in Bitcoin, probably probably. 10 15 percent in ETH and the rest altcoins. So I should I should probably have a lot more Bitcoin now, but uh, where I am right now is um, is uh, I've got I don't have enough I don't have enough Bitcoin. You never do. But uh, what uh, what yeah. percent and what what what, what percent do you say is altcoins? Probably, I mean, we say altcoins. Do you call ETH an altcoin? No, no, no. I'm talking about startups. Uh, alt, 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 altcoins. Probably fifty percent. Probably fifty percent. Wow, respect. All right, you've got balls, man. Yeah. Um, and what's uh, maybe give us a quick overview. Scott is coming up. Just lost internet, so he's coming up again. He's up now. But give us uh, an update. What was your show about? How was um, what's the response like? What are your thoughts on the market? Yeah. So I mean, the main thing we looked at today, we looked at the we looked at the response to the FOMC, which I don't think we really need to speak about yet because we spoke about it at nauseum yesterday. Um, but the, the main thing we spoke about today was the USDT DPEG. Now it's a slap DPEG, um, but you know. What the tweets came out and said, which is something we all need to pay attention to, is maybe someone knows something. Now, I don't believe there's anything, but you know, you don't believe there's anything until it comes through and then there is something. And we looked at ways to protect your portfolio or to protect yourself if USDT does indeed depeg. Now, I'll give you some of the obvious ways that you can do it. If you think USDT is going to depeg, you can go to Curve now and you can sell your USDT or USDC. And that way you're out of USDT and you're holding USDC and it will cost you, right now it'll cost you probably 2% on your, on your portfolio, which is quite a good trade. Like if you think that USDT is going to depeg or that the DOJ is going to take action against USDT, well, then just go and get your money into USDC. That's the easiest way. Um, if you think, you know, other way, well, the next thing that you can do is you can just go buy Bitcoin because what we know is that when stable coins depeg, People often run into Bitcoin. It's happened the last few times stable coins have depegged, and it's also happened um, also happened when USDC depegged. People went into Bitcoin, so that's a natural thing where people migrate into Bitcoin when they when they, when they have these depegs. Um, the other one is a little bit more technical, and I'm not sure that it's something that I want to talk about in the spaces. But you can go and listen uh, to my show. Uh, the, I'll say it. I'll say what you don't want to, you don't want to say. There's a way to short 
US as well. Is that Correct. So, yeah. So there's a way to there's a way to do it. What you can do is you can short USDT against USDC, and you can do it on leverage. Now, your downside is very limited because your worst case is that USDT goes up by 0.2% in DPEGs and, and repegs. But your upside is if USDT re, um, completely DPEGs, you've got all the upside. So it means that you've got a very, 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 very small risk, 0.2% at the moment. And your return could be your leverage times that. Now, I don't want to talk about it on the, on the spaces. I did cover it on my show. The reason is it's quite technical. And if people do it wrong, you know, there's the cost of leverage and the cost of borrowing and stuff like that. And I think that for people who don't know exactly what they're doing, I don't want to actually open that can of worms. But let's say to me, that is the best risk return trade on the market if USDT depegs. Because your risk is 0.2%. Your upside is all the way up. Can we so Scott, when you see what happens, yeah. Scott, Scott, see what happens. You leave, you leave, you leave. Yeah. You leave for a few minutes, and we start. Um, we start talking about shorting uh, tether, <laughs> but no, no terminology, man. Please, no, no. I want to argue terminology again. We argued pause pivot yesterday. I, I refuse to call this, and we'll never call a stable coin that changes price on an exchange a DPEG if it can still be redeemed one for one directly from tether. There's no DPEG. Agreed. Scott, okay. Scott, there's, Scott, there's like a dozen entities on planet Earth that can redeem from Deltec for what it's worth. No, I, but I, that, I understand but, but that, but, that, but, that, but, that, but Travis, how, how could that... traders doing things, though. That it, it's yeah. traders that are causing this on individual exchanges. Okay, but how... how, how fully bad. Scott, sorry, question. Cash, can you educate me in the audience? Like, the, 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 the ability to, to swap your tether to, to a dollar, a US dollar, um, how could that? How, how is there? What could happen where you're not not able to redeem it anymore? Assuming Tether doesn't do anything in this well, different no, case. No, nobody nobody go, can create or redeem Tether without having an account at Deltec, and getting an account at Deltec is really hard. And it's my understanding. And it's my understanding that um, there's something like a dozen entities that can do it. Which is like, it's a pretty impressive racket that they've created where you got 80 yards in this thing and there's, you know, a dozen doors in and out of uh, out So, and uh, uh, Travis, Travis, what's this way you're around? I, I just, I just, I just I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll give you, yeah, so Simon, I'll, I'll give you the mic, just one question and then I'll give you guys the mic and I'll mute myself. But what's the fear around? So, so Ryan told us about the DPEG and how to protect yourself and how to short it. But why is there some fear around Tether? And I, I, we're not creating FUD here and, you know, I hold Tether. But why is there some fear now? And, and I know it's about regulation. I, what I, what I could regulators do? I don't know what, what this latest, like within the last 24 hours, I, I actually do not know what like the latest round of FUD is. I, I don't know if it's like somehow connected to, you know, Binance spheres and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I do not know. Si uh, Rand, Simon, uh, Scott, can, do you guys know the, the latest? Well, I think Rand can probably give the summary if he didn't while I got kicked off there for a moment, but it has to do with uh, the curve pool and uh, basically an indication that there might be someone who knows something who's heavily trying to short uh, because the pool between Dai Tether USDC has gone out of whack. It's supposed to be thirty three, thirty three, thirty three, and I think uh, 
USDT went up massively as a percentage of that pool. This is when you're getting really deep in the DeFi weeds, but there's nothing there uh, specifically like from a regulatory standpoint besides the normal fund. So now it's like, a, so, so that's like a cause, that's like a causality thing where people look at that and they go like, does, does whoever did that, do they know something that other people don't know basically? Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it has something, it's something based for, for, related to regulation, a regulatory crackdown. No, uh, was... Yeah, I mean, let's just go through what actually happened. It's technical, but it's probably worth talking about for just a few seconds for the for those who are a little bit more technical here in the audience. And I apologize if there's background noise. I'm just getting into the car. Um, there is a there's a stable coin exchange called Curve. Now, Curve is primarily a place where traders go to trade in and out of one stable coin into another stable coin. So if you have USDC and you want USDT, or if you have DAI and you want USDT, what you do is you go to Curve and you trade this at Curve. Okay, so Curve is an exchange. It's a decentralized exchange, which is specifically made for trading stable coins. That's where its strong point is. Now, how Curve works is there are pools. So there is a pool which has DAI, USDC, and USDT. So imagine like a bucket, and inside this bucket, there is DAI, USDC, and USDT, and they're all stable coins. And there is a ratio of those stable coins. So like, let's just say, for argument's sake, there is a third DAI, there's a third USDC, and there's a third USDT. Now, if traders want to dump their USDT, they go to Curve, and they go to this bucket, this, this pool, and they dump their USDT, and they take... Instead of USDT, they take DAI and USDC because those, those are the other two tokens in the bucket. Now, what it does is it causes an imbalance. All of a sudden, yesterday, there was 70%, or right now, actually, 70% USDT in this bucket and only 15% DAI and 15% USDC. Now, what that means is, if you look at the curve pool, that's the first indication that traders on mass are actually trying to exit a stablecoin. So just imagine if there was there was 33% DAI, 33% USDC, and 33% USDT in the pool, and all of a sudden traders said, we don't want our USDT, and they dumped their USDT and they took DAI and USDC, all of a sudden the pool has 70% USDT and only 15% of the others. Now, what that does is it causes traders to start panicking that why do people not want their USDT? And that's what caused the defect. Because then people said, hold on a second, maybe someone knows something, and that's why they are dumping on Curve, which is the primary stablecoin exchange, that's why they are dumping their USDT, and they're taking I and USDC in place of it. And that is what caused the defect. Now, the last two times that we saw this defect, the first one was when UST uh, was... In, in, on an imbalance, on a in uh, in um, sorry, UST the Terra Luna stablecoin, um, there was a deep there was an attack and it got uh, uh, had the same thing happened, and the last time we saw this was when USDC depegged because of the second Valley collapse, and I came onto your show, you, you remember, and I said I'm noticing this, this is a big problem, get into Bitcoin, and that was the beginning of of, of a Bitcoin run, and so it's, when it starts happening. The, the people that are watching these pools, these buckets on Curve, they they pick up very quickly when there's a change in demand of stablecoins. 
And then they start asking themselves questions. They start saying, well, what do people know that we don't know? Is there a potential DOJ attack coming on together? Is there maybe missing assets and they're not backed? So that's what people start asking. Now, I don't believe any of those are true, but that is what, th- th- that's the, the, the mechanics of what happened out there. If, those, right, right, if you don't think those things are true, I know that other speakers want to jump in. Alex, I saw you on mute as well. If you don't think those things are true, then why do you think we're seeing that the, the, the traders fleeing from, um, from Tether? Well, look, they're not fleeing on mass, number one. So, you know, the, the peg is still, just to give you an idea of the peg, the peg is still 99 point, I'm driving now, but when I left office, it was 99.75 or 99.8. So the deep peg is ever, ever, ever so small and only real high frequency arbitrages and real and people that really know how to play arbitrages can, can trade such small uh, increments, uh, number one. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, maybe I think there's nothing, but Maybe I don't know something. Maybe, example, and I'm not saying that I don't want there to be any fud around it, but what if a very select few people have have had a leak from a DOJ action, which which I think by is bullshit, but I'm just saying, what if that is the case? They would start going at it first. So the idea is to say you've got to watch that pool because that pool is your first place to see where, where the traders are trading out of stable coins and whether a stable coin can, can be picked. Yeah. yeah, by the way, Scott, it's your yeah, Marco had that liquidity is just like total shit right now. So like sometimes these like relatively small moves can you know But how Alexander, how how does this move compare to other moves in the past? I know it's still yeah. very small, but but small could still be big if you compare it to previous moves. Sure, and, and I, I think that um Rand hit the nail on the head here where where it's this is basic supply and demand. And if you have a limited pool of assets and everyone is trading one for the other, uh, the reasons for trading that uh, may become self-fulfilling as they see other folks doing the same. Uh, there's going to be a relative price imbalance between USDT and USDC or DAI, which creates some of that that DPEG. This is different from uh, UST, uh, from Terra Luna, which the DPEG was part of a larger structural issue where folks were fleeing the stablecoin or selling Luna and the broader market was dragging down Luna, which in turn caused spiral. That's symptomatic of an algorithmic uh, stablecoin, whereas Tether is presumably backed one-to-one, um, as is USDC. So I think part of the FUD is there's a lot of scar tissue left in the markets from folks seeing the death spiral of of Terra and thinking something similar might happen. I, I've seen a couple tweets that were talking about um, the Tether uh, company using profits to buy Bitcoin and likening that to the the Terra Luna Foundation Guard backing um backing UST with Bitcoin, which ultimately, when they had to sell it to defend the peg, dragged the market down and it became self-fulfilling. And those are two very different things that I think folks who are drawing this, the similarities uh, are probably self-interested looking to pick up a few points of... of yeah, the Deepak, I'm just I'm just looking now, the Deepak is gone in Tether. And by the way, Scott, I'd love you to do a, a market update right after we discuss Tether with Simon Gunny. But is, is the Deepak gone now? Is it back to par? I'm not on the screen right now, but I would I would assume so. 
Uh, it, it looks it, yeah, yeah so it was very yeah, temporary yeah. very temporary yeah. and this is nothing you know i mean to rand's point people do rush into bitcoin we saw that when there was this massive event with usdc and silvergate uh and uh silicon valley bank right but usdc was trading at 90 cents 89 cents 87 cents this is just a fractional tiny tiny thing so so not the same but in all those cases people did rush into bitcoin including myself so just to I'm trying to get my internet uh, functioning here at full. Yeah, you've got. But, yeah, yeah. So you've got a market update for us, or not yet? Just I know you. I, I do. I do. So Bitcoin trading at twenty five thousand fifty two, down three point six five percent in twenty four hours. ETH at sixteen forty six, down five point four four eight percent. So still seeing a bit more impact on Ether and then some altcoins than we are on Bitcoin. I'm looking for a market update, but uh, the, you know, the, the, the stock market flat. It seems like at this time, every single day, the stock market is up or down by literally like 0.2 or 0.3%. But we're definitely seeing a significant uh, move down here from Bitcoin after FOMC. We can debate uh, till we're blue in the face why that's happening. So, but I think hold on, bad hold news. On. Hold on. Yesterday, when we finished our stream or when we were towards the end of our stream, the NASDAQ pretty much was up about 1% for the day. And Bitcoin, out of nowhere, took a $1,000 candle. That $1,000 candle on Bitcoin coincided exactly with the curve pool becoming um, um, uh, debalanced, unbalanced, or whatever else. That's why we got a $1,000 drop in Bitcoin from 26000 to 25000 Everyone said, it's Bitcoin responding to the FOMC. That can't be because the market didn't respond to the FOMC. Markets were unchanged about one percent. Would be very strange at Bitcoin, and that is exactly the time that the curve pool started to be balanced. And what what do you what's your what's your thoughts after that, man? So so you think it's it's the people trying to trade against uh, Tether or trying to attack Tether? No, it was a, it, there was some kind of fight or something came out somewhere that I haven't seen it, but there was some kind of fight only against Tether, and that's or, or the Tether fund caused Bitcoin to to. To, to get bought up, uh, to get sold down. I see so, there, Simpson. But hold on, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so, so James, but is, if you if you have FUD and Tether, um, there's two two things that will happen to Bitcoin. One of them is people moving to Bitcoin as as a store of value rather than stables. And the other one is people moving out of crypto because of a potential stable coin depegging. If we do see if we do see an attack on Tether by regulators, how would that impact the market? How, Gunny, how do you expect that to impact the market? Gunny, Dave. Uh, hey, go ahead, Gunny. Thanks for having me. So, sorry about that. Um, I, I think a couple of things. Number one, uh, I'll answer the question, and then I, I want to get back to the curve thing for a second. But uh, and sorry, my connection's not great. You're good, man. You're good. As Ran is. Um, yeah, I think if there's an attack on the, you know what, regulators like, I think maybe some of that's priced in, but also the market is super reflexive, which I think somebody else just kind of mentioned that, you know, panic in the same way that when things are very euphoric like euphoria incites more euphoria causing prices to get you know kind of crazy and and to the upside same thing can happen very much to the downside so you get you you normally would think things get priced in kind of ahead of pending news new information comes in the market you have you know somewhat weekends in the market and and um these kind of liquidity vacuums because liquidity is like super fragmented in the space and uh you get lower prices and you start to get more irrational prices. I also think that, um, you know, and just from kind of some of my circles, like just whispers that I've had, uh, there are a couple of large macro funds that maybe during 
20, 20, you know, 20 and 21 got into the market that weren't um, crypto native who are now getting out as well. And, you know, these are people that are coming from traditional finance where, you know, uh, what, what may seem like a, um, a, a, a not, not so large amount of, uh, of assets, but when you put them in crypto, they become pretty large. So, so, guys, sorry, so just to understand what you just said. Are you saying that some of the traditional, some of the trad fight Wall Street guys are going out of crypto? I, um, I have heard that there are a couple of decently sized funds that are moving. But is it, I, hold on, Scott. Is, yeah, Scott. Is it on our agenda? There's a few articles of, of uh, uh, or at least rumors, or, or uh, I, I, I think they disclose it as well of some of the big Wall Street guys coming into crypto and kind of filling the void left by Binance and others. Uh, we, I, we can I, discuss I, that later. I, I don't but think, I think that's, a, that's different. But Gunny, really quick, uh, yeah, you should jump in. I yeah. just want to say that I had Steve McClurg from Valkyrie on uh, YouTube this morning on my panel. And I asked him straight up, I said, listen, you know, everybody in this industry in the United States, is anybody crazy enough to continue building here? And he said, and he said it was not hyperbole. He said, every single person I know who's operating in the United States is either leaving or shutting down. And he was talking about yep. funds. So that aligns exactly with what Gunny's saying. Like, if you're a mid-tier hedge fund, small, I mean, Travis, you are one of those. Maybe you can ring in. Um, you know, uh, but he said basically everyone's out or just yeah. packing it in. Yeah, I don't. I don't think maybe maybe it's not quite that binary. Like it's not everybody in, everybody out. And I think maybe people that that weren't in are using this as an opportunity to start gaining exposure. But the ones that, I mean, it was so much shocking to me in twenty one how many funds got in when you know. I mean, maybe it's not so shocking, but but you know when Bitcoin's at three four thousand, it's it it's uh, it's total wood. And then when it's at forty thousand, it becomes interesting. And uh, so I think maybe some people, you know, got caught, uh, some funds got caught and, and they're maybe moving back to, um, you know, to more familiar waters, more familiar territory. Okay. Like, so before, 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 look, before you jump in, uh, I know that James is jumping in and before you do James, um, for a project, if you are a project that's building in the ecosystem, hit us up if you want to come on the show or if you want to work with us. So we're still incubating project. We're still helping out projects, whether you're based in the U S or in Venezuela, it doesn't matter to us. Um, and you can join the show as well as an advertiser, as an affiliate. Just hit us up. And there's an email in the pinned tweets. There's two pinned tweets. Or you could just, if you don't want to email or it doesn't work for you, just put it in the comments or DM. Um, but James, I'll let you jump in on, on this particular yeah. point. Like, you know, for, for, the, for, for startups to be fleeing the US. And I'm going to go back to my question that I asked originally. Is that any regulatory action on Tether, how would that impact the market? Yeah. Um, so just on on looking at fund flows, we've seen two hundred twenty seven million dollars of outflows from in stoke funds this year. So on a similar kind of trajectory to last year, where we saw a lot of outflows. So we know that in stokes are pulling money out. Um, on from a regional perspective, it's a lot a, a lot of it. Funny enough, is Canada. We know that various funds in Canada were pulling seed capital. That seems to be a bit of a theme this year of taking out seed capital. Um, from a regulatory impact perspective, I think it would be bigger. We track um, volumes on trusted exchanges, and I see that Tether now makes up around 80% of spot Bitcoin volumes on trusted exchanges. So anything that happens to Tether would have a material impact. On okay, well, can someone, can, so can someone give me some clarity? Um, again, just treat me like an idiot. What could happen to Tether? What could regulators do? And what would how would that impact the way we use Tether? Um, can anyone just give me some clarity there? Do you want me to take it, Mary? 
Yeah, of course, Simon. Cool. Um, just wanted to add on a on a few points that were covered um, as I was listening in. Um, uh, sorry, I just a, a little bit excited. I've, we've been making a license application for two years, and I just got um, we just secured our retail securities license. It's a two year application, and just got a note um, notice. So, um, but yeah, sorry. Back to Tether. Um, so Tether, um, the firstly. I'd be very surprised if we didn't hear from the DOJ. And full disclosure, I'm I'm a shareholder. I'm not sharing insider information in Bitfinex and also Circle, who does USDC. So, um, but the the DOJ investigation with Tether it has been an ongoing thing. So we've been expecting an announcement on what the outcome is of certain areas that they've been looking at. Um, they had a settlement which was due to um, it an allegation that they denied about lying to a bank um, when they were trying to figure out how to um, secure banking uh, for Tether. The other thing is I'm not too sure it's accurate that you have to have an account with Deltek. Um, if you want to redeem Tether, you have to have an account. You have to go to tether.io. Um, you have to do, I, I believe last time I checked, a minimum redemption of $100,000. Very few actually do it. They tend to trade into something else. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I've never heard of a requirement to have an account on Deltek. Um, it may be Deltek that's actually making the transfer. Um, and maybe there's some issues if you're dealing with, you know, billions of dollars or hundreds or tens of millions from a crypto friendly bank or a crypto company, maybe that will cause some issues with your bank. Um, but I'm not aware of any requirement to specific to specifically have it. So, 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 so Simon, yeah. just back to the DOJ. Actually, can you can you tell me more? What, what, simplify it a bit more. What does that mean exactly? What what could happen to Tether? I know we can't know for sure, and you don't have any inside information. But what is the best case and worst case scenario? Because we've seen, like, I would say we've seen. I would say we've seen the worst case scenario, but it's more on the negative with Binance in terms of what the SEC is alleging, and and the, we haven't seen anything from the DOJ. But let's see what happens on the DOJ. What what is the best case and worst case scenario for Tether? Well, so you know, in in terms of best, so the the, the major issue with Tether has always been their issue with banking. When uh, you know they they became the bank to crypto to crypto exchanges through Tether, and holding that amount of money is very difficult. And then when they lost banking in uh, Taiwan, they had to do things, and and various other banks wouldn't support it. Um, and then at, at different stages, they've. You know, they've, they've said that because certain things happened where there was government seizures of funds using a merchant processor, they were under uh, the, the peg and then they, sorry, under collateralized. And then they had to uh, put together an agreement between an intercompany loan and stuff. Um, but now they're doing attestations. I think the, the major issue you could see is kind of the attestation versus the audit. And so if they want to go into the entire history of everything that's ever happened, and again, I don't, I don't know anything because uh, there hasn't been an audit out there. Um, like, for example, they were talking about, uh, so when people were saying, like, they, they've made announcements that they're doing Bitcoin mining, um, but, you know, that kind of rings sounds of something like uh, Celsius or BlockFi or something in your mind. Or when you hear that they're buying Bitcoin, it rings sounds of UST. Um, but it's important to note that it's excess profit. So when when uh, USDC depegged about 20 billion of volume went over to Tether, 
And that was when interest, you know, when interest rates were at the higher rates, the hiked rate. And so they were able to buy high yielding bonds. And then they, a gov the US government was essentially subsidizing their purchase of Bitcoin because they were doing it with excess profits because they found a way of borrowing at 0% and receiving 5%. So, so, it, so something like if we do, again, we just in very simple terms, because I do want to go to, to the panel. If we see a very heavy-handed crackdown beyond beyond just an attestation um, or, or request for audio attestation from Tether, uh, what would that look like for Tether? What would like look like for the market? Like it just for the average builder, for the average investor, what could happen? And very briefly, because I know David's waiting. Yeah, so two, I mean, two main things: you uh, an accusation of some type of money laundering because the connection between people that were issuing Tether, like FTX, um, all of these things maybe their next announcement um, or just a general massive crackdown on if you if any US person holds a stable coin you need to ensure that they are not from the US and therefore you need to do on-chain KYC which breaks the whole stable coin model those would be so if, if that if that happens if we if we have a request that yeah they can, any US person cannot hold tether then we see a lot of that money flowing into to because not many options left. Well, Bitcoin is is the option. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Bitcoin right. is not a stable coin. Yeah, yeah. So, well, then you'd go for a U.S. regulated stable coin. There'd be an unwinding process, and you know, the, there'd be a a transition. But the the more important thing is that breaks every stable coin because if you need to do on chain KYC to ensure that no one from the U.S. is holding a stable coin. Then no stablecoin is is immune to that. That's banking. Basically, you've created a bank account. Dave, well, um, yeah, I mean, considering the Congress was very close to actually passing stablecoin rules, and then they kind of got yanked from one side. That the side they yanked it isn't in control seems highly unlikely uh, that they will try to ban stablecoins, or you know, as my friend Mike McGill likes to call them, crypto dollars. The 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 more interesting thing here is. We had a 30% drop across the altcoin universe. And where does that money go? So people selling and dumping out of altcoins, what are they dumping it into? Well, the liquidity was mostly in Tether. So now you have a lot of people holding Tether, and a lot of them are just getting the hell out of the market. So it's really a question of just finding liquidity. And a lot of people in crypto, um, I hate to say it to some people on the panel, but trading in crypto, there's lots of lazy and stupid trading. People who just say, eh, 10, 20 basis points, I don't care. When you're looking at a DPEG of 0.2%, that's 20 basis points. There are a lot of people who simply don't care uh, for those sorts of money. So, so it's, it, it's, to me, that's a nothing burger. What is interesting is it's obvious that if, in fact, an administration in, in the United States wanted to take out all of crypto, the obvious attack vector is Tether. I just, tend not to believe that they have the power to do so at this point or the wherewithal or that the courts or the Congress would let them do it. But clearly that's the attack. Okay. So let me just give you some numbers, uh, Dave, and I've got one question for you before I give the mic to Scott. The statement that came out 50 minutes ago on Bitcoin.com, stablecoin market records $2.4 billion in redemptions in 30 days as leading tokens experiencing supply decline. According to statistics over the span of 30 days from May 15th to June 15th, more than 2.4 billion stablecoins were redeemed. During this period, three of the lending of the leading stablecoin experienced a decline in their supplies, ranging from 4% to 19% compared to the previous months. Do these numbers concern you at all, Dave? 
No, they're, they're, they're exactly what I was saying. It, it almost had to be the case because there was a massive sell-off of all coins across the board over the last week. And that money has to go somewhere. And most of the people were taking it out of crypto. Some put it back into Bitcoin, sure. But a lot just took it out. And if you take it another out, thing, what's going to happen? Yeah, I, you, consistent with, with my narrative. And another thing you said, Dave, is that you don't think regulators have the power or the ability to 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 destroy tether. Um, well, what what makes you say that? Well, it's politics, right? You know, it, it's well for starters, it's it's not just the U.S. that's concerned here. I mean, you know, there's a lot of use cases for tether outside the U.S. that are extremely important to people. Uh, many of them have relatives in the U.S., etc. But at the end of the day, everything that the regulators have been doing is more or less indirect assaults or picking fights that they can at least spin politically. If you try to do a frontal assault on you know, millions of accounts, uh, at the end of the day, U.S. elections are basically a million votes either way. It is going to swing. Actually, it's hundreds of thousands of votes in swing states that will literally swing the next election. I don't believe that the Democrats, who are obviously the party that's anti-crypto these days for reasons that are still kind of beyond me, but that's a, that's a different conversation. Scott, I Scott, can't what? imagine that they would want to do that. That direct assault isn't the idea. The idea is to try to win the narrative war, and that's what they've been up to. Scott, do you think a direct assault is possible? Anything's possible, but I don't think the SEC right now has the resources to go after Tether after they're already in uh, battle here with Coinbase, Binance, and with, uh, and of course with Ripple. Now, if you're talking about DOJ, I guess that's another conversation. But to me, like you can't worry about things that you have no evidence are happening, and that's just a complete narrative. I actually, I want to ask David Young about this uh, from from Coinbase. I mean, what are you guys seeing on the home front on Coinbase? Are there any concerns about Tether? Obviously, you work with Circle and USDC. Is there anything that's concerning you guys or your relationship with Tether or using it on the platform? So, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, we are our strategic partnerships with Circle. But I will say that more broadly, you know, of course, there's always this debate about whether we can rely on the attestations uh, still waiting for an audit report. You know, I I've heard conspiracy theories from people suggesting that there are reasons beyond, uh, you know, their that connection to commercial paper, which, you know, they've said now that they've sold off commercial paper, for example, or their loan book and, and things like that, that there may be other reasons why uh, they haven't produced a fully audited report. But if you take the attestation at face value, I mean, their capital ratio right now is at 3.1% as of end of Q1 2023, which is, first of all, an improvement from the 1.5% they had at the end of Q4 2022. But you know, that is better as a capital ratio than most banks like that. Like they're in a fairly decent position, which I think, uh, you know, for me, at least doesn't sound as if like there are confidence issues surrounding this outside of what we've seen today in terms of the three pool, which I think were very specific circumstances related to curve and related to what we're seeing in terms of that position moving over to Ave. And a fractional part of the Tether transactions on a daily or weekly basis. I mean, very, very small. So I think it really is just people getting spooked and thinking somebody knows something more than they do. But but David, to your point, it's interesting. I mean, these platforms, companies, Binance included, and Tether have weathered massive bank runs seemingly without breaking a sweat. 
right? And I mean, Paolo Arduino, who I was trying to get on, I'm actually speaking to him at one from Tether. I mean, he tweeted today, we're ready for any amount of withdrawals and redemptions. Come at, come at us, right? So that doesn't seem to be any fear on their part. I think that's legit. You know, I, I do think that, you know, we, we, we did this exercise a few months back where we were just trying to measure out what the size of potential tether shorts were in terms of how much you could borrow and how much you could actually put against it. And it was on the order of, you know, not unsubstantial, but it was like on the order of like maybe five to $10 billion compared to what they say they have in cash, which was, you know, somewhere around like 40 billion. Like they have the ability theoretically to like redeem that like three, four times over and still be okay. Um, if you know what they, they say in the at stations is true. And I think there's an interesting argument here for a lot of these platforms, but focusing specifically on Tether, they've also not only survived these massive bank runs, but they've survived this fear, uncertainty, and doubt for as long as I've been in crypto and can remember. And I think that there's a pretty clear argument to be made that maybe in the past, they were not necessarily fully backed or backed by the assets that people would want them to be. But with this much of a spotlight on them over this amount of time, they've obviously become compliant and now are more than ready to weather any storm. I mean, that's how I personally view it, but I would love your thoughts. I think that's what we've seen. If you listen to, say, the case at the New York Attorney General, for example, it's not saying that they aren't backed today. It was saying that in a very specific moment in time, they may have not been backed. And, you know, I am obviously not in a position to judge the credence of that one way or the other, but even based on the language uh, that you see coming from that case, it doesn't sound as if they're calling them, like calling to question what, what's happening there. You know, so we were talking earlier about what was going on with the DOJ. I think that, you know, it's it's hard to speculate what's going on. Why did they shift departments? You know, like, um, and they're, they're trying to call them out on their specific relationship with these banks and whether they gave them misinformation in some way, shape or form. And, you know, like, it, it sounds like it. They're they're still struggling to actually find the right way to actually, uh, you know, bring a case against them. So, you know, I, I I'm kind of with you, Scott. Until I see the actual evidence, I refrain from judgment. I mean, we've heard about it since the beginning of time, Alexander. I see you have your hand up. Hey, I think Scott hit on this earlier. Uh, exactly right. Which is uh, DOJ I haven't seen any evidence. Could there be something in the works? Maybe. The SEC, though, is not going to go after Tether, at least in my opinion. I work in, in D.C. in crypto policy and regulatory policy. And the reason is that they can only pick so many well-resourced fights at any given time. Right now, their Binance at Coinbase fights are, are those. There's and Ripple. Reason, and Ripple, yeah. Uh, and, and there's a reason that USDC and Circle didn't show up in the Coinbase suit. And to me, that's because they just don't want to open up other vectors against other well-resourced opponents. Whereas if you look at the Binance suit, Paxos and US uh, or uh, BUSD figures pretty prominently. So if they were to go out, the SEC, if they were to go after a stablecoin issuer, it's going to be Paxos. I don't see them going after Tether anytime soon, at, at least until they get some some presidential case law um, kind of at, at why would they go after Paxos, do you think, necessarily? I always thought that was interesting that uh, the government went towards Paxos to basically shut down BUSD, but had nothing to say about Paxos's other stablecoin, USDP. That's a good question. I, I mean, uh, I, 
the the argument has been that um so taking a step back the sec specifically chair gensler um have been pretty methodical about trying to take crypto things and stick them into existing regulatory buckets so with the exchanges it's hey let's put these into securities exchange frameworks and everyone needs to come into compliance with stable coins every time um Gensler has appeared before Congress. He said, well, they're, they look like money market funds to me and should be regulated as such. So if, if his view is that all stable coins, to some extent, are money market funds and should be regulated as them, then the question just, be, who, question just becomes, who are you going to go after in order to effectuate that view? And, and to me, the lowest hanging fruit is, is Paxos and, and BUSD because there, there's no love lost um between Binance and I would say Capitol Hill and the broader public in the US whereas if you're going after Circle and Coinbase who at least uh, in DC are seen as honest brokers it becomes a little bit more politically difficult I mean you're in you're in DC obviously we've seen a lot of legislation floated about stable coins over the past year and even before and most of it seems to have disappeared into the ether obviously that was a fundamental part of the Lumis Lumis Gillibrand uh bill which they are saying is coming back leaner and meaner in the coming months uh and obviously some ideas from even McHenry and others I mean Seems like stable coins are more likely to be legislated on than anything else in crypto, and that that might then delay any regulatory action against any of these. I mean, what do you think about that? Correct. It, it should. Um, the, the the regulators are basically supposed to take a backseat to Congress when Congress is moving on something, and the Presidential Working Group report basically said as much. They said Congress should take the lead on stablecoin legislation. And there's plenty of folks in Congress on both sides of the aisle who have been somewhat upset that the SEC hasn't seemed to have been listening. Um, so yesterday, Jeremy Allaire, the CEO of Circle, testified before Congress on uh, the latest uh, it, the latest stablecoin bill uh, draft from McHenry. Uh, that bill is going to get marked up by the House Financial Services Committee in early July. Um, it will pass out of the House because uh, Republicans control the House and McHenry has a tight relationship with uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. The question is, does it make it through the Senate? Stablecoins are the one issue where the administration actually seems to see the need for comprehensive legislation. Um, their views on crypto market structure are a little um, less less generous. Um so look, I, I actually think that there's a, a decent chance that stablecoin legislation uh, passes into law by the end of the year. It's it's not a sure thing by any means, but um, Congress could could act on it relatively quickly. And, where, where would you where would you put the likelihood? Is that like a coin flip to you, or like more likely than not, or like how would you? I would say probably forty forty five percent. Yeah. Whereas I would put market structure legislation around 20%. It really depends over the next couple of weeks how, uh, whether Democrats decide to hop onto McHenry's bill um, or, or not. Because the more Democrat votes there are on that thing coming out of the House, the more likely the Senate's going to have to stand up and take notice. If there's no Dem votes, then the Senate doesn't have to do anything. Hey, Mario, I just want to share something that's a bit of breaking news or announcement today. And obviously, Bill Barheit, the CEO of ABRA, has been one of the uh, most 
guest here and a close friend of the show. It just This just came out. Abra is announcing a significant restructuring of its operations that will take place over the coming days. Effective June 15th, today, Abra is ceasing its retail business in the United States. Existing Abra Trade clients will receive notice of the timeline for the withdrawal of their digital assets from Abra Trade. Abra previously announced the wind-down of the Abra Earn program in the U.S. Abra Borrow will cease offering new loans to U.S. customers. Consumers. Abra Boost will cease offering services to U.S. customers and existing users will receive separate notice of the wind-down process for their existing deposits to take place in the coming weeks. So to our narrative, uh, Gunny, we were talking about before and all of us, uh, people leaving the United States, Abra was sort of the last man standing when it came to the loan and yield model that existed. I, I reached out to Bill. He said he's dealing with clients right now and said, Abra will be fine, just another bullet to the head of U.S. investors who get screwed by regulators. Simon, you can go ahead if you have a take. Yeah, sure. Um, so, the yeah, the issue, as you said, Abra was is pretty much the, the last person standing where you can do a collateralized loan, and then Abra has the right to invest that, the, that collateral and try and generate yield. Um, so, obviously, that has become a very problematic model, but Abra survived all the storm. And full disclosure, I'm a shareholder in Abra as well. Um, but uh, Simon, I think it would be easier for you to make a list of us of companies you're not a shareholder in. Go ahead. I know it was like this. It's just disclosure is important when you run a regulated securities business. I have to say, um, so um, uh, and I think it's a decent thing to do anyway. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the the model of it, it's an interesting one because. All right, so if you want to rehypothecate, then that's what banking does. There's loads of stress tests. You can't go out and invest that in crazy risky things. Uh, you have all that type of stuff. But if a high net worth investor is depositing collateral and then they're borrowing against it, but then Abra has the right in order to invest that money, there's no current disclosure requirement around that. So they're probably taking the opinion that they can do that as a as a Form D accredited investor. So only a high net worth investor would be able to borrow against collateral. I think they were already only dealing with accredited investors at this point. Well, this was the announcement that they're um, right. they're um, taking away the retail business. So you can't borrow um, and you can't have an earned product. Um, so they're, they're officially making that announcement, but they're saying that it doesn't affect. But interestingly, I still think it's really important for if you're borrowing and that collateral is going to be used and you're making financial decisions, I, I still think it's really important to know what risk profile a company is taking with those funds so you can manage accordingly. Um, and under that's where the that's where the collateral being used, I think, does need some security law disclosure. Uh, but then they're doing it based upon lending licenses, which is a completely different regime because that's why banks have like the ability to leverage up because they have such stress testing on what you do with those funds. And we saw two similar platforms uh, halt withdrawals in South Korea yesterday. Yeah, um, there was a there's a there's a big shakeup. It'll be interesting to see what the the equivalent of Chapter Eleven looks like in South Korea because these are they, these were pretty big numbers. Um, and yeah, it was uh, the whole lending side. Um, I think um, in South, I, I don't know, I'm not an expert on South Korean liquidation, but my guess is it goes straight to liquidation in these models rather than um, 
the, the rather than model. dragging us through what uh, you and I have been through with well, Voyager and Celsius well, for the, the past. The UN no, model is no. you you make it legal for lawyers to spend client money, and you basically use the Mashinsky method, but allow it to do under the court, and everybody just spends your money. Hopefully, they don't do that in the rest of the world. Ran, what did you have to say? Uh, the South Korean one wasn't as big as everyone thought. Because on their website, they said they had $8 billion worth of altcoins. But that's because when you translate the website from Korean to English, it doesn't change the number, but it changes the currency. So it was Chinese it, one. Or so it's, it's, Korean, uh, it's one. Korean, Korean, Korean uh, one or whatever. It's a Korean, um, whatever the currency is called. Korean w. w. Korean W. And it's 8 billion Korean W, which is not actually a big, it's actually not really a big amount in altcoins. Um, someone should just do the calculation. But when you translate the website from English, from Korean to English, I thought it was a huge story. We thought $8 billion of altcoins were now locked up in Korea, but it actually was, it was a, it was a tiny number. Yeah, I think size uh, is a huge part of the narrative, but I think the narrative still is the key here, which is... They, they did say 41,000 Bitcoin. They do have a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. They've got 41,000 Bitcoins. They do have a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, no, they, yeah, but I, they, I, I thought people were saying that that's the total amount of Bitcoin that has like passed. That's like the cumulative aggregate volume TVU, or something like that. TVU, is total volume that's passed through their system. Yes, you're... Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, an an entrepreneur, it's an entrepreneur. So I, think, I think it's kind of a non-event, I think. Yeah, it's an entrepreneur number when you're not forced by regulators to say what's fair, clear, and not misleading. Well, Celsius actually announced, uh, I saw it in the news today, that they were, as part of their process, were going to sell all of their altcoins into Bitcoin and Ethereum, which seems to be a very, very important story here. Yeah, I, I applied the to, I asked them to do it eight months ago when Bitcoin dominance was at its low. And they waited till Bitcoin dominance was at its high to sell all the altcoins for Bitcoin and ETH. So, well, uh, what, is balance, what is the Celsius balance of altcoins if X Bitcoin and ETH can and X X Celsius Bitcoin and ETH? Um, well, they they uh, they owe about a hundred thousand Bitcoin. They've only got about twenty thousand of them, or something like that. Last time I looked, so no, what they owe about... is a lot more. I'm more worried about if they're selling all their altcoins for Bitcoin. How much altcoins? How many altcoins are going to hit the market? Yeah, um, it's mainly. I think it was about seventy percent ETH and Bitcoin. I, I I'd need to check the numbers again, but yeah, there's a there's a big dump coming of altcoins into Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? So it depends on yeah, like and out the date. So you, yeah, like, but I'm saying big dump of those altcoins, but that should actually be if it's going into Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's effectively buying Bitcoin and Ethereum. Gunny, go ahead. I'm curious, and maybe somebody here knows this from um, from Celsius or whatnot, but what are the tax implications to the retail account holders in a liquidation event? Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to give um, tax advice, but basically creditors that have over 100,000 claim, they're able to do it in a pretty tax efficient way. But it also, uh, because the coins were deemed to be property of Celsius, um, they have their own, uh, they were a UK company and a US company. So it's, it's ultra complicated. There's an HMRC claim, an IRS claim, and they're making the trade, but they also were treating it as an illegal bank, so there's a there's an a, there's a nuance there. 
um, that that's really complicated. And there there was a loan negotiation at the moment that may lead to people getting all of their collateral, creating a taxable event, getting a triple whammy. So the tax side is an ultra disaster in these situations. And it, it really does require some legal interpretation because they were operating illegally and it depends how you interpret uh, what, what the actual relationship was. Yeah, and just as an update for others in dealing with Chapter 11 bankruptcies, and Gunny, then I'll let you go, uh, the Voyager saga seems to be getting closer to being uh, resolved, although not in the way that any Voyager creditor would want. But yesterday there was a hearing and the judge did clear it seemingly for the 10th time uh, for the first tranche to go back to customers, which is about 35.76%. Um, so that could happen in the coming week or two weeks, which would be kind of the first one of these to be resolved where customers are starting to get some of their money back. So uh, I guess uh, good news in that it's starting to see some resolution potentially, but bad news in the amounts and sort of the precedent of what we'll see in the future. Go ahead, Gunny. No, I'm good. That was my question. Back to the, uh, back to the panel. Yeah, also bringing it back to this, there's, um, in the Voyager case, I think they're selling 36 of the coins that the SEC deems securities as well, right? Yeah, so you've got the Voyager coins and then you've got the Celsius coins. Um, and uh, yeah, in the Celsius plan, they want to get everything into Bitcoin and then stake the ETH. And the, the key for firing up a validator since... Uh, because basically ETH was deemed property of the estate. So their um Celsius applied to take all of our Ethereum. They took it off the light they took it off Lido and now they're putting it on the beacon chain. So there's about a forty eight day queue in order to fire up a validator on ETH because Celsius took it from about a I think it was about a twenty five day queue to a forty four day queue because there's just so much ETH that they're gonna be locking up on the beacon chain. Yeah. So, so Scott, I just uh, think we should wrap. Uh, we can keep it short today after doing a marathon yesterday. But just for the audience, before I give Scott uh, the last guys, 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 before you go, um, I mean, yeah, I've got a list of Celsius coins. Um, so, Cardano, um, I'm looking at the March 7th, sorry, I'm looking at the May coins. So there's 100 million Cardano. There is Polkadot. There's uh, 1. 1.8 million Polkadot. 3.3 million chain link, 197,000 life Litecoin. They got some FTT. They got 106,000. Are you looking at what we got or what we owe? What you've got, I think. Yeah. Cool. Is that the coin uh, report? Yeah. Yeah. Then got Solana the, and the largest position, I think. Uh, got 150,000 Solana, XLM, a little bit of EOS. Uh, I'll tweet this. I'll tweet out the, the thing in a second on my account. Cool. Yeah. Right. So I assume it's going to be ATC anyway, but I doubt they'll hit the change. All right, everyone. Uh, it was a good, uh, good short space today. Um, remember, if you've got a project, if you're an investor with portfolio companies or your project um, uh, in the audience, go to the pinned tweets. I'll pin it on my profile as well. Uh, Randy should do the same uh, so I can see it when they end the space. And there's an email there. You can email us or you can comment in the tweet or you could DM us. But best is to email us, please. Otherwise, Scott, final words, and I promise I won't end it this time. I promise you, you have my word. Final words. I've traumatized you. Final words before we wrap up? No. <laughs> Damn it. I was actually genuinely serious. All right, guys, so final words. Uh, markets are not good. 
um, the the lack of clarity. And you know, I think a lot of our spaces over the next few months will just be trying to piece piece together um, how regulation will look like in the U.S. over the next few months, and and what response we'll see from the East, from Russia, from from China, especially with what's happening in Hong Kong. Um, and yeah, I know that Scott and Rana are bullish. I'm pretty bullish as well. I'm not sure about the rest of the panel, but we'll see you again tomorrow, same time at 10.15 uh, ET. Thanks a lot, everyone.